ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. So glad that you are joining us wherever you are, however you're taking in the show, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeart. However you're doing it, I'm glad you're with us. Glad that you are connected to the GBB Podcast Network. Um, however you're listening, we are appreciative of you making us a part of your Grizzlies fan experience. And the same thing holds true for our blog, uh, GBB, grizzlybearblues.com. I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, uh, Mr. Parker Fleming. Parker, the associate editor over at GBB. Uh, and you are hunkered down there in Memphis. Uh, I just got done shoveling about an inch and a half of sleet, which is not fun. I've never shoveled that much sleet before. You, uh, a couple days ago, and I know it's uh, technically still ongoing, you guys have about seven or eight inches of snow. Memphis is not built for that, is it, Parker? Uh, no, not at all. I haven't <laughs> left the house since uh, since Sunday night, I believe. And I know uh, you and our guests being from the north, y'all, y'all are thinking we're kind of being cowards about all no. this. But... See, I disagree. I have the opposite perspective. I Because I, I lived in Memphis for a few years. People need to understand, you guys, it makes total sense that you wouldn't prepare for snow because you so rarely get snow. So before we hopped on, uh, we were talking about how when I lived in Memphis, there was a snowstorm, not nearly as big as this, uh, but we got snow and they were talking about how there were only two or three plows in the entire metropolitan area for Memphis. But that makes total sense. Memphis, I, I think this is the biggest snowstorm in 30 years or something like that. So why would you budget for seven or eight inches of snow? It makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think sure. people need to be nice to the Southerners. Be nice. They're, they're, uh, they're not used to it and they don't prepare for it because they shouldn't have to. It's a rare occurrence for them. And, they're putting their money elsewhere. So I, I'm no judgment on my end. I can't speak for our guests, but uh, given his Memphis background, similar to mine, I'm guessing he will be kind as well. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at GBB live. You can follow me on Twitter. Again, Joe Mullinax, the site manager of SB nations, Grizzly bear blues at Joe Mullinax. You can follow Parker on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. And you can follow our blog, GBB, at SBN Grizzlies. I'm going to jump right into it because our guest at this time is a very busy man in Memphis right now. I know he just got done recording Locked On Grizzlies with our good friend Sean Coleman, also a part of GBB. Makes total sense since he's a former beat writer for the Memphis Grizzlies with The Athletic. And now he is a beat writer for the Detroit Free Press back home in Michigan. Um, Omari Sankofa, uh, at Omari Sankofa on Twitter is with us again a friend of memphis a friend of gbb and we are excited to have you back on in uh in the honorary position since we are a day away as we record this from the detroit pistons taking on the memphis grizzlies amari how are you my friend and i'm doing good you know i guess well i just try to stay warm right now uh you know obviously we're a little bit more used to snow up here in, in detroit uh you know i still have a buddy from, from dc who asked me uh I got hold it up up there. You know, I heard you got a big snowstorm. And, uh, well, you know, six, seven inches, pretty routine for uh, Michigan. But, um, you know, but I've also, you know, I still follow so many people in Memphis and our friends, obviously, a lot of people in, in Memphis. And looks like Memphis has more snow than midtown Detroit does right now, uh, which is crazy. You know, obviously, I was down there that Memphis doesn't get cold because it really dips below 40. And, uh, no, Memphis is cold right now. You know, I can't, you know, I'm not going to rub it in or anything else. Uh, you know, I think you certainly take for granted how much preparation goes into handling snow when you're from somewhere where it snows a lot. And uh, if you're from an area where it, it doesn't snow, then you just don't have the infrastructure in place to 
to handle it. So I guess if, if nothing else, you know, we're in a pandemic and people probably aren't out and about as much anyway. So uh, maybe not as devastating as, as it would be in a, a, a normal year. But uh, yeah, you know, I still have the, uh, you know, my, my, my weather app has Detroit and this is still on it. And I checked the weather this morning and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> I cannot believe it's colder in Memphis than it is in Detroit right now. This makes no sense at all. A little bit different, to say the least. And Omari, like I said, I know you're a busy man. I appreciate your time. Glad you're on with us here on GBB Live. We'll jump right in. And I'm curious, because again, you had the experience covering the Grizzlies. I had a chance to see you in person right before all hell broke loose and the world shut down. I believe it was in February or late January uh, when the Grizzlies were in Washington playing the Wizards right near where I am in D.C. And and I had a chance to meet and speak with you for a little bit. That was great. so you've covered the Grizzlies, and obviously you have covered Detroit Pistons now. I'm curious, as you look at both teams, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, um, the Detroit Pistons are very clearly in a rebuild, right? Like they are 100%. They've probably said the words. I don't follow the Pistons, obviously, as closely. I'm guessing it wouldn't have been as shocking if they just came out and said, yeah, we're tearing this thing down. Um, it, it's very clear from what they're doing in a variety of ways that that is the plan. They've hit some home runs like Jeremy Grant. I'll be the first to admit I was wrong about that. And Parker, I appreciate you not pointing that out up until now. Um, I did not understand the Jeremy Grant love. Uh, now I get it because he's a borderline all-star in and of himself on a very bad team. That's impressive to do. Um, I-, I think that there's some things that they're doing really well up there. There's also some head scratchers. But in a different way, in terms of perspective, you could argue the Grizzlies are doing the same thing, whether it's the way their injury reports are done, which I know uh, – there's criticism of them being secretive with that. Uh, how long Justice and Jaron in particular have been out, not having finite timelines or, or having specific time frames like they did with Jaws' ankle uh, when John Morant got injured. So there's questions about that. Um, the fact that they're playing Sean McDermott and John Conchar so much, the Anthony Melton being out as long as he's been. Uh, there, there's all sorts of concerns about their injuries. Are they doing a stealth tank? I don't know that I really believe that. Um, but at the same time, you're looking at how these two teams that the Grizzlies have more in common with the Pistons than they do the Utah Jazz or the Milwaukee Bucks or the Lakers or the Clippers. Those are teams that are contenders for the NBA Finals. Memphis is closer to what the Pistons are right now than they are to what the Jazz are, for example. Uh, but at the same time, you don't get that vibe from the way that the organizations carry themselves. So I'm curious as to your perspective. Again, you've covered the Grizzlies. Now you've covered the Pistons. Uh, covering the two teams, what are some differences between, again, they're in similar spots or roughly similar spots, but they're, I, I would argue they're handling it pretty differently. I think there are some similarities and differences for sure. Uh, I think one is that uh, the Grizzlies are a year deeper into their rebuild than the Pistons are. And, you know, with that, I think, a different set of expectations coming into this season. Uh, when you're at the start of a rebuild, you have the benefit of the doubt. And as your players get older and more experienced, I think people naturally expect more. So from the outside looking in, uh, well, I guess to the extent that I'm an, an outsider now and I'm no longer covering the, the Grizzlies, uh, you know, it still seems to me as well, you know, like no matter what they are calling it, and I don't think they've maybe, you know, been as gung-ho about calling it a rebuild as the Pistons have this year. But it still seems like they're a team that is still sort of in a, a, a rebuild. You know, when you just look at, I guess, one, like how injured they are, you know, which you mentioned, they have so many key guys out that I don't know how you could possibly, even if you expect to make the playoffs this year, I don't know how you could not just kind of be forced into like that rebuilding standpoint anyway. 
just because you haven't had a lot of your, your best guys this season. You know, how, how are you going to win and, and make noise in, in the playoffs when you've been so uh, battered? But I think one thing that the Pistons and the Grizzlies have um, in common is that, you know, no matter where you are in your rebuilding process, uh, the outward communication has been that you want to compete. You know, you don't want to tank or at least have the perception that you are tanking. Uh, you want your guys to come out and compete every night. Uh, you want to go down swinging. And no matter what your record at the end of the year ends up being, it didn't feel like you got that record because you didn't care. Uh, you got that record uh, just because you fought every night and you just weren't quite good enough to actually uh, pull off the win, um, which I think from a fan perspective, it is more satisfying to go through a losing season when it didn't feel like the, the team was trying to lose. Uh, the Pistons have eight games this year, but pretty much since Trey Weaver took over, uh, him and Dwayne Casey have both said that we want to compete every night. Uh, this is not a rebuild, or at least Trey Weaver more so than maybe Dwayne in that regard has said, that this is a, a, a retooling. It's not, it's, it's not a rebuild. Uh, we want veterans of the program. We're going to set the right example every day in practice and uh, create that competition on, on the court. You know, our young guys are going to earn their minutes, and we're not just going to lay down and, and die every night. You know, we're going to go down swinging. Uh, you know, we're going to fight, and we're going to develop a, a winning culture, even if we are not winning games. I think the Grizzlies kind of handled that the same way. You know, you're aggressive in getting young guys in, acquiring extra draft picks, getting that young core established. But, you know, you still have Jonas Valanciunas, you know, other guys on the team. Kyle Anderson, uh, you know, who's having a really good year this year, by the way. But uh, you still have guys who are have been in better situations and can kind of show the young guys what they need to do to have that right approach every single day. And, uh, again, the Grizzlies are a year into – or two years into this style, whereas the Pistons are still just getting started. So I think coming into the year – the Grizzlies were a team that, you know, some people thought could make a leap forward, whereas people thought the Pistons would be at the bottom of the NBA. Uh, which, if you go back a year ago, I think, you know, the year that they drafted, I don't think anybody expected the Grizzlies would uh, be close to making the AFC, you know, first they surpassed expectations. So uh, I think I've seen more similarities and differences between the two teams. I think this time next year, just given how competitive the Pistons have been despite the record, uh, especially if they get – a top three pick in this draft, which I think is very possible. You know, you just look at the guys in this draft. This is going to be a good draft. If you have a top four or five pick in this draft, you're in great shape, and the Pistons probably will be in position to do that. So, uh, yeah, overall, just I think just expectations, you know, compared to last season, you know, I think is why maybe it feels different from Memphis right now. But as a whole, I think the Pistons will be in the same boat next year where, okay, we're a year in. You know, we saw the young guys perform well last season, and they competed. You know, so how much better will they be? Can they make noise in the playoffs? Uh, I think the Grizzlies are just a victim of their expectations more so than maybe what they were realistically going to do this season. We're chatting with Amari Sankofa, again, of the Detroit Free Press. He's formerly of the Memphis Grizzlies beat over at The Athletic. Make sure you're following him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Amari Sankofa. And Amari, you make a great point there, the victim of expectations. That, to me, is not the fault of the organization, like the organization has never come out and said, our expectation is to make the playoffs. Our expectation is to be a, uh, you know, a second round of the playoff team. They want to compete. They've said very similar things to Detroit. I'm starting to think that maybe it's fan perception of what these statements are, because whenever the Grizzlies lose, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, Oh my gosh, how are we going to keep things going? We need our injured guys back the, the front. And I know, you know, this Zach Kleiman and company, they have not once said that they are concerned about what happens in the here and now. They are always talking about, and we've renamed our full recap at the blog about this, 
they're always about that long view. They're taking that sustained success perspective, and they know that rushing Jaron Jackson Jr. back before he's ready, rushing Justice Winslow out there before he's fully comfortable, doing these things to get to the eight or seven seed and to get crucified by the Jazz or the Clippers or the Lakers, there's not a ton of value for that or for them in that if it's going to potentially hurt the way that Jaron and Justice fit in the long-term picture. So I guess maybe, and again, you've interacted with both fan bases now, are the Grizzlies and their fans victims of their own perception of what this is? Because I feel like Detroit Pistons fans are accepting of where they are in the process. I have a feeling that Grizzlies fans are a little bit more in denial. They, they're expecting a little bit more than perhaps they should. I think it's expectations for sure. Um, you know, I just remember when Zach Kleiman first took over, uh, I think they had momentum, a lot of momentum pretty early on, you know, obviously. And, you know, you had that by Conley trade that kind of set them up, you know, for the right track. And, you know, you just get some of the young guys in and they outperform expectations last year. Uh, so you have a guy, you have Brennan Clark, you have Jaron, you have Ja, obviously, who was rookie of the year. And uh, and they make noise in, in the bubble. They kind of go down to the wire with Portland. And they just exceeded all expectations. You know, I don't think anybody thought the Grizzlies were going to be as good as they were last year. You know, it seemed actually like the consensus before the season started was that they were highly likely to be the worst team in the NBA. And that did not happen. So, yeah, if you're a fan and you're watching this team and it looks like they're on the cusp of doing something big, maybe sooner than people thought that they would, um, your expectations rise with that. And then you come into this season and it's like, okay, cool. We have year two of Ja. Uh, yeah, we have year two of Jaron, and yeah, he got hurt in the bubble, but he's had time to rehab, and now he's going to come back, and he's going to be fine. And Brendan Clark's going to be better. You know, you have some good young guys, and Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman. Uh, you know, we're in, in, in great shape, and uh, the injuries they've had this year have just been absolutely absurd. And I think of nothing else, you can just kind of look at who they haven't had this season, and, and you know, probably figure that they're not going to take that step forward. But at the same time. I think with any rebuild, it's very rare that that year-to-year progress is linear. Uh, last season, they exceeded expectations, but that doesn't automatically mean that this team is ahead of schedule because uh, yeah, they're still young. They're still learning how to win, um, especially with young point guards. You know, I know, like, you know, you see Ja in, in preseason, uh, you know, hitting step-back threes, and it's like, man, this dude's about to set the road on fire, and he has that ankle sprain, and and he's regressed in some ways too. You know, the shooting is down from last season. Uh, the, you know, the roster has been so so battered that I'm not even sure if Jaws in a position where the team can even maximize his strengths just because you don't have a lot of guys who can kind of take that pressure off of him. You know, like that having a stretch five and Jaron Jackson Jr. who, you know, was taking like seven threes a game last season and hitting them at a nearly 40% clip. You know, like that hurts. So um, yeah, like you know, again, you know, I still follow the Grizzlies pretty closely, but. Obviously not as plugged in as I was when I actually covered them. I think I don't think the season has been maybe surprising at all. I kind of look at it and it's like, yeah, well, you know, this is a young team and they're banged up. So uh, I don't know why you would set that playoff expectation anyway. And I don't think that the front office has. You know, I think they've been similar to the Pistons in that clearly they want to compete and they don't want to lay down and, and, and die and just lose every single night. But at the same time, they, I think they're realistic in that it's going to be a longer path toward making the playoffs especially when you look at the Western Conference. I mean, that was another part of it for me, too. Like, even if the Grizzlies were better this year than they were last year, I still wouldn't have picked them to make the playoffs just because the West got so much deeper. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think, I think on, on, on some level, 
fans maybe got a little bit too amped up, but at the same time, uh, you know, like maybe the Grizzlies could maybe give a little bit more info as far as where Jaron, Justice, you know, Danzy Milton, some of these guys are as far as coming back. Uh, but I wouldn't rest them back. You know, like what, what are you playing for? Uh, like the best case scenario, you get a playoff game, and uh, now you're going to play a red hot Utah team, or maybe uh, the, the Lakers find some momentum. Like you're not going to get out of the first round of the playoffs. So if I'm looking at it from a team building standpoint, I would prefer to have a lottery pick and a really good lottery than maybe best case scenario you come out of the playoff round and then you just lose in the first round anyway. You know, there's no need to speed up the timeline just because you had a good season last year. Uh, you know, you still have to have that big picture in mind on, you know, where do we need this team to be? And uh, as far as I can tell, they're, they're still com- competing. They just had a winning streak not too long ago. There's still a lot of good. Um, well, so I don't think there's any reason for panic at all right now if you're a Grizzlies fan. Yeah, for sure. I, I echo all that. I know um, last season kind of really – uh, expedited that timeline and maybe the expectations a little bit. And I do want to ask you, because, you know, covering the Pistons, you have a whole new teams to really worry about being in the Eastern Conference as opposed to the Grizzlies being in the West. Just, Mario, what are your thoughts of the West or the East at large, excuse me, because you have, you know, your Sixers, your Bucks, and your uh, 76ers, um, the guys, uh, the teams that are supposed to be contending, but yeah, teams disappointing. You have young teams that might take the next step but might not, and then teams that are rebuilding. So what do you just think of the East at large right now and the state of it now and going forward? Yeah, for a bit, it looked like, you know, this might be the first season in a while where all the East playoff teams have a winning record and, uh, you know, the competition in the East kind of resembles what happens in the West every year where you're consistently going 10-11 deep and those playoff races are going down to the wire. But, uh, you know, we've seen the Cavaliers, they've fallen off a lot you know, compared to the first four or five weeks of the season. Um, New York's falling off a little bit. Orlando's falling off a little bit. Uh, it's looking more like a normal year for the East where you have, you know, maybe two or three contenders. You know, you have maybe two or three teams that could be contenders, maybe a move away or they're just banged up. And then you have this sort of large uh, mix of like nine teams that, you know, maybe two of those teams like the playoffs and they don't belong. Uh I'll say this: I, I don't. I don't think the playoff games in the East are going to be that interesting this year. You know, it just doesn't look like that seven through, through ten range is going to be very in, interesting. You know, you're looking at teams like the Bulls, Orlando. You know, teams that would probably benefit more from having a lottery pick this year. Uh, so we'll, you know, so we'll see how it goes. It's obviously been a weird season with the COVID protocols, and uh, you know, you've, you've had teams like Boston that's you know lost guys for extended periods of, of, of time, and that kind of throws things off a little bit. But um, no, you know, this is a, a typical season in the East. It looks like it's going to end up being, unless some of these teams that are falling off, we find that rhythm. Makes a ton of sense, and it is a strange season on both ends. I mean, the Utah Jazz being, at least in terms of regular season record, I believe they're the undisputed top team in the NBA right now. They really didn't do anything to change their roster, and, you know, they just banked on guys coming back and bouncing back, and players like Mike Conley and others have done just that, so... Uh, it's definitely a strange season. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out, especially in the East. Uh, with a, a, a group of teams, you know, I think the Washington Wizards are close to the bottom right there with the Pistons. But you guys are only, you know, three, three and a half games out of the play-in right now. So it could definitely be strange uh, to see how things shake out both in both conferences. When we come back, we're going to ask Omari. He mentioned it a moment ago, talking about Job Morant. And, you know, I, I wrote a piece this week about the book being out on him and, 
and how much credit and credence there is to that. I'm curious as to Omari's perspective on that development of the Grizzly star young point guard. We'll ask him next. Don't miss it. You are listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, as always. And at this time, we have old friend, friend of GBB, friend of Memphis, uh, one of the very best out there in terms of covering basketball. Obviously, he doesn't uh, talk about the Grizzlies as much as he once did. At Omari Sankofa, K-O-F-A. Uh, he does a remarkable job uh, covering the Pistons now as their beat writer for the Detroit Free Pe- Press. Excuse me. Again, at Omari Sankofa. Heading into the Grizzlies game against the Pistons on Friday. Uh, we thought it'd be a great time to catch up with an old friend in Omari. And we talked about in the previous segment, Omari, the, the development of John Morant. I wrote a piece over at the blog called The Book on John Morant uh, that, got some, uh, that got some run uh, in Grizzlies Twitter and elsewhere talking about the ways that Ja, you mentioned regression. And I think that's a fair way to put it at this point. Like if you're looking at statistical data uh, from cleaning the glass, from, you know, wherever, pick your poison in terms of analytics. Uh, John Morant is one of the worst defenders in the NBA right now. And that's not a fun thing to say because last year, I know Amari, you were around for this. Uh, we would make fun of Trey Young, right? We'd make fun of him and how terrible of a defender he is. And Jaw's better than Trey Young because he's a better defender than Trey Young. Well, opposing teams are shooting better against John Morant right now than they are against Trey Young in terms of defended shots and all those things that you can find over at NBA.com backslash stats. You, you can do a little bit of research, as I did for that piece, and you can see that by the percentages, John Morant is one of the worst defenders in the NBA. And he's also not getting deflections. He's also not getting steals near the same level that a lot of his counterparts are on the Grizzlies, and that's one of the strengths of Memphis's defense. They're one of the best in the NBA at getting those deflections and steals. So defensively, I think it's fair to say that Morant has regressed. And then on the offensive end, you mentioned his shot. I wrote around in my, I wrote about in my piece how, especially on his floater, um, he's doing better finishing at the rim with his layups. It looks like he's added some tools to his arsenal in terms of his finishing ability, which is great. But from three to ten feet, he is doing a lot worse than he did last year. He doesn't have the same touch that he did on that floater and other kind of mid-range in the paint shots that uh, that he would have had in his rookie campaign. So again, watching jaw from afar, I think you made a great point. It's important to point out he's a point guard. And some of the things that he did in his rookie season literally have either not been done very often or never been done at all by a rookie point guard. You know, you had Mike Conley here before John Morant and, and people were willing to ship Mike Conley out after a couple of years of slow progression. So I do think we were spoiled a little bit by that rookie of the year campaign for jaw. Uh, we again, I think if you're being unbiased and fair, there's no denying that he has regressed, especially defensively. He's still a terrific passer. He still has a remarkable impact on the Grizzlies offense as a dribble penetrator, passer out. But he's not shooting as well. He's certainly not defending as well. Uh, I don't want to use the word concerned because I'm not concerned about it. But in your again, and I know you cover the Pistons now, but I'm sure you keep an eye on the Grizzlies in Memphis. Are you thinking there's anything to Morant's, especially defensive regression? Is it centered around his ankle? Is it the fact that so many key contributors are out? Is it a combination of things? You know, or does the NBA have the book out on John Morant? Do they know how to attack him defensively now? Do they know how to limit him? I know Parker wrote a piece about the blitz coverages that some teams have thrown at Jaw that has limited him as well. Uh, is the book out on John Morant when it comes to him as an NBA player, at least to this stage of his career? Yeah, I think uh, one. Uh, I mean, Ja was just so good as a rookie. 
And, uh, you know, whenever you have a rookie that comes in and is that good immediately, I mean, you average what he was like 17 and 7 last year, you know, ball always in his hands. But uh, you kind of come in with the element of surprise a little bit. You know, I don't. It's, I think it's very common to see point guards have very strong rookie seasons, point guards who are as talented as Ja. And then you have an off season of uh, prep. And NBA teams know what to expect. They know your weaknesses. They know how to – uh, key in on those weaknesses a little bit more, and suddenly the game has just kind of changed significantly for you. Um, you know, especially for high usage point guards like Ja, who I think even last season had some uh, kind of obvious flaws in, in his game. Uh, you know, his shooting being one of them. Um, the thing about Ja is that not only is he not a great shooter, he does not take a lot of threes to begin with. So uh, you, you're a lot easier to defend. Um, you know, when you you can't shoot, and uh, it did look like he may have actually been for to make a leap forward as a shooter in, in preseason. I mean, you see him shooting pull-up threes. Like, I thought the shot just looked a lot better. Um, you know, you have that ankle injury, and uh, maybe that slowed him down a little bit. Uh, no, I don't think any of this is a reason for concern. I think, you know, as, 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 as you said, Joe, I think point guards, I mean, that's the hardest. Point guard and center are the two hardest positions for rookies to learn uh, just because they are asked to do so much. And, um, you know, Ja, like, you still look at his playmaking. Like, I think he's actually passing a little bit better than he was last season. Uh, you know, his defensively has dipped a little bit, but for a guy who was shooting 25% from three, uh, his offensively certainly could be a lot worse than it currently is right now. Uh, you know, he's still getting to the rim. He's still getting to the free throw line at a, a, a solid rate. So there's still some positives there. Uh, but he's got to figure that shooting out for sure. Uh, I think when you're like this a, a, a bottom guard today, if you can't shoot, it's just so much easier to, uh, to defend you. And uh, you know, especially when you're you know six three and kind of wiry, and uh, I think teams can attack you defensively. You know, knowing that uh, whatever you add on, on, on offense, you know they 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 can get that back on uh, defense. Uh, that makes it tough as as well. Um, but with point guards, you just have to be patient. You know, I don't think any progression is linear. You know, it's tough to project how they look as rookies, and it's hard to project how they look as sophomores. You know, I know here in Detroit, Killian Hayes, uh, he played seven games before he went down with a hip injury, but uh, wasn't very good offensively in those seven games. And you see fans picking out up here, like, oh, no, you know, we, our, our, our lottery pick is a bust. But you can look at Russell Westbrook's rookie season. You can look at Kimball Walker's rookie season and see that, uh, you know, some guys – that was still transition into the NBA, and then they figure it out, and it's smooth sailing from there. Uh, you know, sometimes guys come out hot. You look at Marco Carter-Williams, right, great rookie season. Uh, Brick was out on him after that rookie season, and um, he no longer had that element of surprise anymore. So, uh, no, nah, like, you know, if you're, you can never expect guys to kind of progress linearly. I think that's normal. You know, I don't think it's a reason for concern. Um, John knows what he needs to work on. He knows he has to improve as a, a shooter. Uh, I don't think shooting will be a weakness for him his entire career because he does hit free throws pretty well and he does have that touch. Um, but, yeah, you know, if, if you wanted John to, you know, follow up his rookie season with an even better season, he hasn't done that so far. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly understand any frustration there. You know, I know just knowing John, he's frustrated by it too. And then I seen him take ownership for it. So, in the long run, probably not a big deal, but, you know, definitely a little disappointing this season that he hasn't um, resumed that momentum from last season as much as you would want him to. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it, it is tough right now kind of gauging his performances. I, like Joe mentioned, I looked at the many blitzes that they're throwing at him and basically just trying to force the ball out of his hands and dare guys like 
Dylan Brooks or Kyle Anderson to make plays for them instead of John Morant. And I, I do want to ask you, Amari, is do you think a lot of this sophomore slump isn't really on John himself, but really just the absence of Jaron Jackson Jr.? Just since when you have that pick and roll going, defense uh, defenses have picked their poison. It's either uh, play the drive and give up an open three to Jaron Jackson Jr. or play the pop and let John Morant drive to the rim and find someone else for an open look or find a look for himself. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely part of it. Um, Valanciunas is good, but, you know, he's not the three-point shooter that Jaron is. And, uh, you know, when your starting lineup just doesn't have that level of, of shooting, you know, everybody else has to work a little bit harder to create those looks. Um, you know, I think Ja is very creative, you know, when he gets to the rim. Um, you know, I think he is just – I mean, he makes the, the decisions really quick. You know, that's one thing that really always impressed me last season is that uh, when he gets in his bag and he's imp- improvising, he can really create a lot of stuff out of nothing. But it's a lot easier to do that when you have a volume three-point shooter in Jaron who can also kind of cover some of your de- defensive mistakes. And you just look at the injuries that the Grizzlies have had this season. And uh, it just hasn't done job in any favors. And that's one reason why I don't think this season is probably a true representation of where he's at developmentally because there's just been so much kind of unexpected uh, – rotation turnover around him that, you know, it, it can make it tough for a young guard to get, uh, to find that consistency. But no, I think Jaron being out definitely hurts. I mean, dude is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA, um, you know, growing as a versatile defender. Um, when you lose that, you know, it's, it, it just makes the game that much harder. And uh, we don't have that spacing and you're a guy like Ja already, that's not a, a natural shooter makes you have to work harder to get some of those looks. And, uh, you know, and we've seen teams work really hard to get the ball out of Josh's hands and put more pressure on other players to, to play make as well. Uh, that happens Justice hurts there, too. And we haven't seen Justice at all in a Memphis uniform, I believe, unless he's stuck in there at some point this season and I just missed it. But uh, No, that's correct. Yeah, We're still missing Justice. Yeah, so you have guys that can take that pressure off that Josh just hasn't had. And, uh, you know, Kyle's good, Dylan's good, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I love Dylan, but sometimes you're, you're playing with fire with Dylan, too, you know, because he, he's very hot and he's very cold. So, no, they haven't been able to make it easier for Ja, and I think we see some of that in his numbers this season. Fire and ice, Dylan Brooks. Maybe that's his nickname. He, he definitely can get hot. He definitely can get ice cold, too. We're finishing up here with Amari Sankofa, again, of the Detroit Free Press, formerly a beat writer in Memphis. Uh, he did a remarkable job covering the Grizzlies. He's doing the same kind of work covering the Pistons now. Make sure you're following him heading into Memphis's game with the Pistons on Friday and beyond at Omari Sankofa, K-O-F-A. Omari, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, again, prediction time. Maybe not a final score because the injuries are so up there for both teams. Uh, I, I, I'm very impressed with anybody that actually bets on this game now that it's legal in so many places. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to expect. But maybe just give our listeners who haven't been as paying much of attention to the Pistons this year uh, a brief rundown of what exactly Grizzlies fans can expect. You know, we anticipate it being Ja, Ka- uh, Grayson Allen, who's had a very hot run himself recently, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, who looked like a, a legitimate, most improved player candidate. Uh, Jeremy Grant might have something to say about that, which I'm sure you'll talk about here in a moment. And then Jonas as starters. Uh, what can Grizzlies fans expect from the Detroit Pistons on Friday night in terms of overall looks and who's going to be uh, someone that could be a threat to beat the Grizzlies? Yeah, you, you, you mentioned Jeremy Grant. Yeah, I think he's in the midst of a – I mean, to say it's a breakout season is an understatement. You know, I think a lot of Pistons fans and even just nationally, uh, people were confused by the Pistons. Gave him three years, $60 million, uh, which, honestly, I thought it was a good signing 
just based on what he did in the bubble. You have a guy that can defend one through five, you know, hit threes at a high rate. Uh, you know, you look at Bird Times gets eighteen million a year, Marcus Morris gets sixteen a year. Um and Grant's a better defender than, than both of those guys, better shooter than Marcus Morris. Uh you know, well players get get paid, you know, twenty million a year for one of the best two players in the NBA, you know, to me I thought it was good value. And uh but he's surpassed all expectations. I mean he's Efficiently scoring about 24 a game right now. He had a career high of 43 last night. 15 for 25 shooting overall, nine for nine at, at the line. Um, he's having, despite the added responsibility he's had, which he's never been the lead option before. He is actually even better as a shooter this year than he was in his previous two or three seasons. Uh, so you have a guy that's hitting threes at a high rate. He's getting to the line at a high rate. Uh, still a really great defender. Uh, not in, in night out. Uh, the Pistons have been able to rely on him to consistently just lead them in, in, in scoring and on, on, on defense. And, uh, you know, I think we can probably say he'll be the best player on the floor tomorrow night. Uh, and he's coming off the best game of his career. So Grizzlies are going to have to look out for uh, Jeremy Grant for sure because uh, he's probably in the lead for that most improved player award right now. Um, so that will be a fun matchup. You know, Grizzlies, of course, can throw Kyle Anderson at him and, and, and Brandon Clark and have some guys who could probably match up against him favorably. So that will be fun. Uh, Pistons, yeah, I know DeLon Wright. You know, he's, he's had a good streak, and he's somebody Grizzlies fans are aware of. Uh, he's been streaming the ball pretty well as of late. Sadiq Bey is the reigning Eastern Conference Player of the Year, uh, 19th pick in his last draft, uh, shooting about 40% from three, so he's been great. Uh, one thing, I, you know, I, I do wish we could have saw, Killian Hayes is hurt, but I think young matchups between point guards is always fun, and I think Killian, uh, despite kind of struggling offensively, like he was a good defender and playmaker, and he would have been a nice matchup against Ja. But, uh both of these things are interesting in that they just have a lot of big wings who are, are, are really versatile. And I think that's one thing that both of these front offices have had in common is that they clearly value guys that have size and can do a lot of different things. That's just how the league is trended as a whole. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Ja, obviously one of the more exciting guys in the league to watch. You know, Jeremy Grant, who's been one of the better stories of, of the season. Uh, that's what I'll be, be looking for. Uh, you know, how can Ja handle a team that can throw a lot of different big defenders at him and, uh, same for Jeremy Grant. Uh, you know, I think the Grizzlies can kind of slow him down and it'll put more pressure on the rest of the Pistons to, to kind of step up in that void. It's going to be very interesting. I'm looking forward to watching it. Uh, I don't know how many people in the NBA at large community would say that they're excited about the Pistons and the Grizzlies on a Friday night, but I know everybody on this call is, and I know if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're looking forward to it as well. Omari, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, continued success in your new spot. You're doing remarkable work unsurprising because of how talented you are. Um, I appreciate your time, and we'll have you back on down the road, hopefully. No, absolutely. Still a big supporter of GBB. Yeah, I'm enjoying following you guys this season and you know, just seeing how the Grizzlies stuff transition from year one to year two of this rebuild. So, uh, yeah, but definitely do this down the road, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. We appreciate you very much. For Parker, for Omari, I'm Joe. Make sure you 